Thank you, brother. Uh, good morning again, everyone. It's uh, good to see or good to hear your voice um, on this Lord's Day that we have available to us um, each and every day that uh, God affords us an opportunity to be in his presence is certainly a, a blessing. Um, we know that uh, we only have we don't have very many of these days uh you know, afforded to us in a calendar year. Um, so it's important that we make the best of them. As I've talked to you, as we've discussed before, um, you know, it's important to just, again, take stock of how you're feeling today. Um, you know, obviously, we're all abundantly blessed. Um, our status in life could be, you know, better, or it could be worse. But one thing that uh, we have going for us that we are truly joyous about is that we have an opportunity to be with God in heaven. Not everyone has that. Everyone should have that opportunity, but again, not everyone has that nonetheless, but we do. And it's important to just reflect upon how that, uh, that, that promise, that, uh, that opportunity should bring a joy into your heart regardless of how you're feeling today. So if you're, you know, obviously, you know, brother people, um, you know, gave us, uh, led us in a, in a wonderful, beautiful prayer, asking God that, you know, for any one of us who are physically challenged or we're not feeling our best, that that God would uh, restore us to a full measure of our, uh, of our strength. And um, certainly, uh, that's what we want for, for each and every one of us. But is it absolutely necessary that we our bodies feel good as long as we have the joy of God existing in each and every one of us? The answer to that question is no. Um, as long as we have this, um, this e- e- eternal, internal, excuse me, um, joy that can only come from knowing that after the end of this short span of life that we all have, that we'll be with God and we'll be with Christ and we'll be with um, the rest of the saints in this place of eternal happiness um, where there are no sorrow, there's no joy, sorry, there's no tears, there's only joy. Um, that is enough. And um, last Lord's Day, um, we were talking about... Uh, we talked a little bit about love. Um, actually, I'd say probably 75% of the lesson was about love. But what we looked at in particular was <clears throat> just uh, what love entails. Um, and we know that uh, the love that, that God has commanded for each and every one of us to show and prove to the world is a love of self-sacrifice. Um, and knowing what that love is. Um, examining that love is 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 very important, and we're going to do that again this morning. Um, I have a quick question for you. Um, you know, obviously, um, we know that uh, if you look at the sun, um, just straight on, that the intensity of that light, um, the radiation that is given off from the sun, is enough to uh, to blind you. Um, 
And and so the the question is 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 why is that? Um, there are some chemical processes that occur out there uh, on the sun. There's there's um, it's a what a fusion reactor or uh, you know there are nuclear reactions that are going on up there. Um, and it's creating this intense amount of heat and, and radiation that we can't see, but nonetheless, it's there. Um, you know, it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, some of the old Greek mythology, you know, about the, the one who flew too close to the sun and, and was burned. There's a danger that goes along with looking at the sun and in, in its unadulterated power. Um, we, we just not, we are just not biologically equipped with our own, uh, our own eyes to, to look at the sun yet. And still, um, we are benefactors of, of the light and the heat that it provides. If you'll notice in the scripture reading this morning, um, in first John, the fourth chapter, um, and I want to thank again, brother, uh, people junior for reading that. In verse number 12, it says, No man had seen God at any time. And uh, when I was reading through this particular chapter again, because, you know, love is, it's an important part of, of who we are as Christians. It's, a, it's an important part of our, uh, our ministry and our evangelistical efforts. I mean, love is, is, is what the New Testament scripture hinges on, um, you know, you know, while John 14 and verse 6 says that, you know, Jesus, as Jesus says, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to God except through him. Um, you know, if we were to, you know, replace the word love with God, um, that that verse would read, you know, Jesus is, Jesus, as he's proclaiming, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to know love or be a part of love without going through him. Um, John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus as a sacrifice for you and I so that, you know, through him we might, uh, and through our belief in him rather, that we might have eternal life. So love is a... Uh, Love is is a very very important facet uh, of of our faith <clears throat> and the gospel itself. So as I was reading through um, this this book of love one more time, I was hit by what it said in verse number twelve that no man had seen God at any time, and I was reflecting upon uh, you know some examples in the Old Testament scripture of of God speaking with men and. Uh, obviously, we know that uh, the, the the word of God does not contradict itself. Um, so we know that there are a couple of examples that, you know, more than a few, I should say. But certainly um, Moses comes to mind right off. Um, but before we get into Moses, I want to uh, jump all the way back to the, the book of Genesis. And uh, if you have your Bibles... <clears throat> Excuse me, let's uh, go ahead and, and start there. Um, again, the book of Genesis, the... <clears throat> uh, the third chapter. In uh, the book of Genesis, the third chapter, 
man and woman um, had just um, eaten of the the forbidden fruit that that fruit on the, uh, that came from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. <clears throat> it says in verse number seven that their eyes were open and they knew uh, that they were naked. And so in their shame, they, they hid from, from God. It says in verse number eight that it was enough for them, having heard the, vo- excuse me, the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, that Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. <clears throat> and he said, Who told thou? Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And we know that uh, the um, that because of this transgression, that uh, they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. And it says that, uh, you know, as a result of being cast out of the Garden of Eden, they also did not have access to the Tree of Life. And as a result of not having access to the Tree of Life, they were subject to dying. And I got to thinking about this particular example, about how awesome God must be that, even just hearing his voice um, was enough to prompt Adam and certainly Eve to, to hide themselves. Um, I go back to the sun for a second. Um, for all of us on, on this side of the, the hemisphere, um, we can see the example of the sun. We, we know it's there. We can feel its heat. Um, you can see the light coming through our, our doors, our windows, um, and so forth and so on, unless you're underground or in a place with, you know, no windows. But nonetheless, we, we know it's there. And in this particular moment, um, as a result of the sin and the shame of their sin, Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord because they knew that seeing him, as they were, if he were to see them as they were, that they would immediately, um, that their transgression would immediately be known. Um, There's no hiding from God, but they attempted to nonetheless. Um, It wasn't until God called out for them and found them did he find uh, the results of their transgression. Skipping forward, um, if you have your books, uh, let's go to the, the book of Exodus. You know, as uh, we we know of the Exodus chapter three, um, we we know the story of Moses or the account of Moses, how um, he was uh, 
in Egyptian, um, in royalty, um, in, herit in heritage, he was a Hebrew. Um, while standing up uh, for one of his brethren, he, he slayed an Egyptian uh, guard, and as a result of that, he fled from Egypt and went into the um, into the wilderness. And he came across uh, a man who was a father, excuse me, a man who um, was a keeper of the flock uh, of a flock in the uh, uh, the desert of Midian. His name was uh, Jethro. And while he's out there tending to Jethro's flock. Um, we know that uh, he was visited by God. Um, but one thing that uh, is important to highlight here is if you look at uh, Exodus, the third chapter, it says that uh, Moses um, saw that there was, and this is in the third, sorry, the second verse, second uh, verse of Exodus, the third chapter. It says that the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, that the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. In verse number three of this same chapter, it says, And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy ground, for the place whereon, whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So what does this particular instance tell us? That um, while God was was not there presently. Well, he was there presently, but not in, in the way that uh, uh, he wasn't there, you know, I'm, and I'm trying to choose my words carefully because we know God is a spirit, so he couldn't be there physically. But the, the um, this relationship that Moses had with, with God was, uh, God spoke to him as one would speak with another face to face, but Moses did not see God with his eyes. Um, and you can read from, from this example here that it was an angel of the Lord that appeared unto him in this bush that was on fire but not burning. And when he came to this place, this place of this burning or unburning bush, that God spoke to him, not not uh, you know not the essence of God was 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 there, um, but it wasn't there as if God was standing right before Moses. But I I don't want to get too far along down that path because I've got another verse that that goes into that. But you'll notice here that uh, God, while He was not there, His His semi-presence in that in that particular space um, made that ground holy or hallowed ground so much so that he told Moses that you can't come into this area in which I am um, partially um, with with shoes on because where I am 
where I exist in, in this area where I am inhabiting, it is now holy. And when Moses found out that the person that he was speaking to was God himself, Moses was afraid and hid his face. In Exodus, the 33rd chapter, if you have a book as well, um, when um, Moses later on is again receiving the uh, articles of the Old Testament or the commandments of the Old Testament in uh, starting at uh, verse number 17 of Exodus, the 33rd chapter, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. And so in this account, we read that it was not possible for Moses to see the full scope of the glory of God uh, because no man had seen God and lived. Even the Levitical priests, um, God uh, told Moses to tell Aaron that um, when God descended down from heaven, Onto the into the the into the place of the holiest of holies, the internal um, worship place inside the the, the uh, inside the tabernacle, that none of the priests could be present because that place was the holiest of the holies. It was pure holiness. Um, and if you again look here at this example of, of Moses asking God to as it says in verse number 18 of Exodus, the 33rd chapter, Moses beseeched God that um, God would show him his glory. God responded that, can't do that. Um, But you can see my my back parts, but my face you cannot see. What is it about... What is it about our inability to see God that would lead us to to dine once we get a glimpse of His face? Um, I've thought about that, and uh, you know, a lot about you know about you know the what God is, and and the reason why it's impossible for any one of us in this physical body to see Him, but we will see Him. Nonetheless, we know that the scripture tells us that it is accounted unto uh, us to die and after that the judgment. In, in Revelations, the 20th chapter, it says that both the great and small stood before God and there were books that were open and out of those books 
every man was judged. So we will see God, but we cannot see God in our physical bodies. And I got to thinking about, you know, that and in, in, in our relationship with the sun that's up in the sky. You know, we are benefactors of the heat, um, of the light that, uh, of this great, you know, of this, of this, you know, celestial body called the sun that God put up there in the very beginning. Um, scripture says in the book of Genesis that God put the sun in the sky to, to rule the day. Um, we know that uh, all of the animals, whether they are, um, you know, whether they roam about in the day or whether they roam about at night, all of the animals on the earth, including us humans, rely upon the sun. Um, we need the sun um, in order to survive. But yet and still with the things that, with all of the, um, with all of the energy, um, with all of the things that the physical sun is that, that sustains life, we cannot look at it directly um, with our eyes. Uh, but we can see its, its back parts. And, and I say that, uh, you know, as, as an analogy to a, um, what do they call that, when there's a, an eclipse. Um, you know, when the moon goes in front of the sun, um, we can see the sun. Well, it's probably still not a good idea to look at it because the radiation uh, still exists. But yet and still, we can see the back parts of the sun. We can see the perimeter of the sun. We, we can see... Uh, just a, a small glimmer of its light, but not in its full glory. And I would say that the reason why we cannot see God in his full glory face to face as the human beings that we are is because our bodies are not equipped to handle that type of experience. Um, and uh, I've, you know, looked at... Uh, um, a number of the scriptures in, in the Bible. Um, and I would also say that um, a part of the reason why we can't see God face to face is also because of the fact that we have a body. And this body, um, this flesh, is imperfect. Um, it, is, uh, it is the tool or it is the avenue through which um, our adversary, the devil, uh, would prompt us to uh, to, you know, separate ourselves from God. Um, so I don't want to belabor that point, but I do want to talk about um, this one question that has also come into mind. If God were to reveal himself to you and I today, um, what would that mean to us? I mean, let's say, for example, um, even if we were to see God the way Moses saw God, you know, not in his full glory, but, you know, in, in a version thereof, would that be enough to, um, uh, to, for us to dedicate ourselves? Would that answer the question for us as to, uh, would we have a hundred percent faith that God does exist if he revealed himself to each and every one of us? Um, we've talked about faith before, as, as it states in you know, the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, that, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Um, we know that 
uh, Jesus when he was talking to his apostle Thomas that uh, he said, blessed are those who believe yet have not seen. So we know that uh, the answer to that question is that is not a part of God's purpose. Um, you know, whether or not it would be enough for you or I um, is irrelevant because it's not a part of God's purpose. God's purpose was that through his son, Jesus alone, and through uh, the, the gospel as it was preached by those 12 men, um, that each and every one of us would believe that God exists and that um, God is the Almighty, in spite of the fact that we have not seen him, yet we believe. That's, that's the type of faith, that is the purpose, that is the plan that God has put in store for each and every one of us. Um, so the question that I pose is probably a non-starter um, because it's not a part of God's will. If it were, God would have revealed himself to each and every one of us um, already, and he would continue to do so. But I go to First uh, John um, because uh, as... As Moses was put in the cleft of a rock, um, as God put his hand upon this cleft and shielded uh, Moses from his glory until it passed over. And when he removed his hand, God, uh, God allowed Moses to see the back parts of, of God himself. I reflect upon, you know, how we see God. Maybe not, certainly not in the way that um, I'm sure each and every one of us would like to see God. Uh, I've, I've, I would say, it's just speaking for me, that um, there have been times in my life where I've, I've just said, you know, prayed to God, or maybe not prayed to God, but said it in my mind that, you know what, it would be nice if God would just reveal himself to me. That would be enough for me to get up off this couch. That would be enough to for me to get up and, and be active um, when it comes to uh, serving God. That would remove all shadow of a doubt um, and, and, and give me what I need, give me the confidence that, uh, uh, that if I sacrifice my, myself the way that God would want me to sacrifice myself, that I would get some sort of reward in heaven. Um, and, and maybe you've been there too, right? It's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I want to believe with the fullness of my body, but my body just won't allow me to accept entirely something that I cannot see. If God were to just to show me proof that he exists, um, you know, that would, that would be enough. So if you go to uh, 1 John uh, again, the scripture reading, First John, the fourth chapter, starting at verse number 12. Uh, the Apostle John writes here, I'm going to be quick, um, but uh, it says again here in this verse that no man had seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Um, I, I reflect back to our study in the book of John, um, 
and also our study in the book of Matthew this past Wednesday. You know, Jesus was trying, um, and, and every single time that uh, the Jews questioned who he was, um, Jesus went about to explain using parables, using logic, um, to, to highlight that um, Jesus himself uh, was God in the flesh. We know this to be the case in John, the very first chapter, that, you know, uh, from the very beginning, the word, um, Jesus, that became flesh in verse number 12, or excuse me, verse number 14, was was with God uh, from the very beginning. Um, he and God were one. And Jesus, in the, when he was dealing with the Pharisees, uh, mentioned in numerous occasions that if they had known God, then they should have known himself, or he, they should have known Jesus. Um, and because they did not know Jesus, then they did not know God. In verse number 12, again, it says that no man had seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and, and his love is perfected by us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And I, I want to re reread verse number 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Of the world, who's the we here? Um, I haven't seen Jesus either, but I know who has. You know the Apostle John, as he's talking about um, himself and the other apostles, they saw Christ and did testify that the Father had sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Amen goes on to say in verse number 15, it says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed that the love that God hath to us, and, and that's a period, let me read that again, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So John is, is saying, in spite of the fact that none of us have seen God, we know God. For God dwells in each and every one of us. And how do we know that God dwells in each and every one of us? Because he has given us a spirit. Or as it says in verse number 13, he had given, he had given us of his spirit. Verse number 16, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So I think about, you know, the sun. Um, I'm talking about the physical sun, not uh, the, the spiritual sun, but the physical sun um, gives off light and warmth and heat um, and by proxy gives life to every single creature on this planet. And just imagine for a second that 
God in his glory also gives off heat and warmth and by proxy life. Um, and if you have a doubt of that, you can go back and you can read Revelations, the 21st chapter, where it says that, um, you know, the glory of God in his son will, will, uh, will shed his light upon the new Jerusalem, this, this new, uh, this new place where we will all be or we all aspire to be in heaven with God for all eternity. Um, in that place, the glory of the Father will lighten that place and there will be no day, excuse me, there will be no night. There will be an eternal day. Just imagine for a second that inside each and every one of us is the light and the glory and the giving power of God himself. You know, while none of us have seen God, we know God because we have a, we have a spiritual relationship with him. We are a part of him just as much as he is a part of us. Love is the key ingredient. Love is the signature. Love is that spiritual DNA, as we talked about last Lord's Day, that binds us to God and, and, and binds God to each and every one of us. Paul wrote in the book of, uh, the book of Romans, I believe it's the 8th chapter, that this love is so powerful that there is nothing that um, that will separate us or can separate us from the love of God. Um, in the latter parts of the uh, of Romans, the eighth chapter, Paul wrote, "Nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord." You know this this love that. We have for God and God has for us binds us together um, in a bond that um, from God's perspective cannot be broken. Again, it, uh, it says in 1 John, continuing in verse number 17, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world, which is a beautiful, a beautiful part and, and certainly um, elucidates us to the fact that, you know, as God is a giver of life, um, you know, we are also givers of life and, and not because we have, you know, not because of, you know, the anything that we have done, but more so um, we are givers of life. Um, because God exists in each and every one of us. And I, I, I say life in the fact that if you continue to read on about what love is, um, certainly going back and in, in reading about it in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, you know, that love conquers all. Love is, doesn't uh, puff itself up. But again, what love does is it gives it gives even to the extent of giving one's life for the benefit of another. You know, the light of the sun, the physical sun, is given, it's, it's extended out to each and every one of us. We are all benefactors of, of the, the, the light and, and, the, and, again, by proxy, the, the life, the life-giving energy that the sun up in the sky 
gives to each and every one of us. And we're also benefactors of the outgoing love of God that he gives and showers upon each and every one of us um, spiritually on this side of life. Again, it says uh, in the latter part of verse number 17, um, that the love that God has given to us, the, the love that exists inside of us, makes us perfect. And we all know, um, without you know going down uh, a beaten path here, we know that when the scripture is talking about perfect, it's not talking about physical perfectness or per- perfection. It's talking about spiritual perfection. And I go back to um, what God told Moses. He said, you, you cannot tread on this ground with anything that is not perfect or holy because this land that you stand on is hallowed ground. You know, God, as he is inside each and every one of us, he makes us holy. He makes us hallowed ground. And the love that God is and, and the love that he has, the, this, the same type of love that dwells in each and every one of us as Christians makes us perfect and also gives us the boldness and the confidence to stand before God, the holiest of holy, the holy one, on on that day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. In verse number 18 of 1 John, the fourth chapter, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If any man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. So as we conclude this lesson, yes, that is a that is a fact. No no man hath had seen the full glory of God at any time. But we are benefactors of the glory of God nonetheless. We are benefactors of the death, burial, and resurrection of his son Jesus Christ, which is his glory. You can go back and read, uh, again, Revelations, the 21st chapter, and see that. But we are benefactors of the love of God. And as it says in verse number 20, as, as, you know, we are, as, as we live this life, as this life that we are living on this side is a, a proving ground, um, if we say that we love God, if we say that we know God, if we say that God dwells in each and every one of us and we don't show love for, for other people, if we don't show love for our brother, and that's just not our spiritual brother, it's not just our physical brother, it's our, 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 the four, four or five billion other brothers and sisters, you know, these, these you know, the, the other human beings that live on this planet Earth. If we say that we love God and we hate our brother, um, then we've missed the boat. We don't, we don't truly have God in us and we don't truly know him. 
For it says in verse number 20 that if you say that you love God, but hate your brother, you are a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? I go back to this analogy of, uh, of a solar eclipse. We see that uh, the moon has gone in front of the in front of the sun so much that the land goes dark. I, there are many, many occasions in human history where um, humans have ascribed supernatural um, meaning to solar eclipses. Um, but solar eclipses don't last, you know, permanently, obviously, because the sun is shining outside my window right now. But in those moments where um, there is a solar eclipse, um, what happens? Um, again, I'm, I'm speaking of, you know, way back in the day, if you will, back in human history, that every single time there was a solar eclipse, that there was fear. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, Allah, Ali, Alex, Sabachthani, when he gave up the Holy Ghost, and, and died, it says that there was an eclipse. And the soldiers that were standing there guarding um, the, the area, it says that they were sore afraid when there was a solar eclipse. Because when people lose sight of the sun, it makes us uneasy. But when the solar eclipse is gone, all things come back to, all things come back to normal. We're, we're comforted. Um, when we see that sun again, because it's meant to be up there. It's meant to be in the sky um, during the daylight hours. But anything that keeps that sun from shining through it, it, it makes us fearful naturally as human beings. And I guess I would say is that when we fail to show love the way that God commands us to show love, we are putting an eclipse in front of the glory of God or the love of God that exists in each and every one of us. And it should make us all uneasy. Amen. It should make each and every one of us uneasy if we're out there saying that we love God, but we're putting a bushel over the light that exists inside in each and every one of us. It goes on to say in verse 4 of 1 John, the fifth chapter, it says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? So the lesson is yours this morning. Um, Hopefully, uh, some words of encouragement, some words of edification, um, maybe even exhortation have been have been given this day. Um, each and every one of us, while we have not seen God, we are the proof that God exists. Because we have God existing in each and every one of us. 
It's important to note that um, the proof of, of God existing in us is the love that we show other people. If we do not show love for other people the way that God shows love for other people, then God does not exist in us because he is not, we do not know him and he is not known by us. Again, if you're here this morning um, and you have been put in an eclipse over the, the, the life-giving power of God that exists inside you, if you've not, loved, not been loving as you should, you can make that right this morning. Um, you can come to him with a repentant heart and ask for forgiveness. Um, and we will pray, those of us who are your brothers and sisters in Christ, that, that God will forgive you, that he will strengthen you, that you will be able to remove that hindrance in, in your heart that is keeping the glory of the Father from being, I guess, emitted from you um, and on this world. Jesus tells us that we are the lights of the world. And he describes God the Father as the Father of lights. We are the lights. We are the spiritual sons that are meant to show the love of God, um, to uh, enlighten the path for others, to get to God and um, through Christ Jesus. If we are not doing that, we will therefore be unable to stand boldly before the judgment seat of Christ. Before the judgment seat of God, rather. Um, we know that Jesus has told us that there will be those that stand before God that um, will, will say that they've done this or done that, and he will say unto them, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. So again, um, as I conclude with this lesson, I wanted to read uh, one final verse, um, if you'll indulge me um, with your patience. Um, Revelations, the uh, 22nd chapter. Revelations, the 22nd chapter, starting at verse number 1. It says that uh, uh, John was shown, um, and he showed me a pure river, a water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree where the healing were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. I'll read that again. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. That concludes my lesson.
If you're here again, the invitation is open for you to request a prayer after we sing the song of invitation. Thank you very much for your time and attention.